different stories from the Bible, and, um, and yet uh, that was uh, Sunday school time when you were just a child, but uh, we want to go ahead and really make some great application for us today in our lives, and so let's ask the Lord's blessing upon the reading of His Word as well as the preaching here right now. Father, thank you for this wonderful time that we have to be together. I'm grateful that you have seen fit to call us here and to allow us to hear the Word of God. Speak to us here today. Move in a mighty way. Uh, This is really not just some simple aspect of sitting here, listening, and then going home. But this is a spiritual moment. This is a time where you desire to take your holy word and to allow it to penetrate the hearts and minds and souls of these dear people. There are some that are wrestling right now with you, whether it be about the matter of salvation or they're born again and yet they're wrestling about sacrificing and yielding their life completely to thee. I pray that, Lord, you'd work in hearts And may we make decisions according to how you speak to us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage of Scripture that was read to you here, in my estimation, really was one of the most fascinating stories that I remember hearing in Sunday school as a child. But truthfully, as fascinating as the story was, I would often walk away with a lot of questions in my mind. And so today, as we walk through this passage of Scripture, it's really my desire to not only help you understand this story a little bit more fully, but to also challenge you about yielding your will to God's will. I want to take this story and talk about this particular subject here today. The title of the message is, The Blessing of Brokenness. The Blessing of Brokenness. You know, our human nature despises brokenness. But in order to be used by God, you must be broken. Jacob found that at this stage in his life, nearing a hundred years old, that the past and his scheming ways needed to be given over to God. Well, I think in order to understand what we just heard read to us today, I think it's imperative that we back up and get the greater context of what is happening in Jacob's life and bring that all in to this critical juncture that we find Jacob in. We first meet Jacob at the home of Isaac and Rebekah when Jacob and his twin brother Esau are born. Jacob comes out second, but mom and dad are told by God when Jacob and Esau are in uh, the womb that God is going to use Jacob, though he was the younger of the two, that the older would serve the younger. And that the promises given to Abraham and passed down to Isaac would now be passed down to Jacob. But it is here at this birth that Jacob's true character is made known, not only by how he's named Jacob, which means supplanter or trickster, but it is also seen in the process of how he came out of the womb. 
You remember that little story? Esau is brought out by that midwife, and here's Jacob holding on to the heel of his twin brother, which means I've got you by the heel. I'm going to trick. I'm going to supplant. And so the name Jacob means supplanter, but it came evident to everybody in that delivery room that that heel catcher would be a trickster most of his life. Last time we met together in this series, we also were speaking about Jacob and moving further along in his life, we see that Jacob tricks his brother Esau in order to get the blessing that Isaac was going to go ahead and give to Esau. He and his mother Rebekah connived together and Esau or Jacob four times in a row lies to his father about his true identity. And yet this deed that he did made Esau so angry with him that Jacob had tricked him in this way that Esau determined that when dad is soon to pass away, I am going to kill my brother. Well, Jacob flees and figures he'd get off to another place. He's done enough tricks with his brother. He can't stay there any longer. And so he makes it to the country of his grandfather, Abraham, and he meets one of his relatives by the name of Laban. Laban was the brother to Jacob's mother, Rebekah. And Laban was also the grandson of Nahor, which was Abraham's brother. So there was a close connection, and it was very powerful that Jacob lands at this particular well and is able to meet these relatives. But if you've read through the book of Genesis, it is with Laban that Jacob meets his match. Who hasn't heard the story of Laban swindling Jacob when Jacob had loved Rachel and worked seven years for her? And then that next morning after they consummated the marriage, he pulls the veil and he goes, Leah? Wow. He works another seven years and finally gets Rachel. But when the story is all done with Jacob being there with Laban, he says to his wives that your dad has changed my wages. He's basically tricked me and held out on me some ten different times. But now here's Jacob. He works a whole deal to basically increase his riches and and trick out his uncle Laban. And so now he's on his way back because God calls him back to his original homeland. But now this man who's tricked everybody, who's connived his way through life, who's lied, cheated, done everything he's could, now is coming back to his homeland and he realizes out of fear he's going to meet up with Esau. You're in chapter 32. I want you to notice here in verses 3 through 8 this anticipation of now meeting with his brother. Look at verse number 3, how he puts the handmaids and their children foremost and then Rachel and Leah and then he passes over to them And Esau ran to, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 33. I need to go back to, I need to be in the right chapter. You're all looking to yourself and scratching your head saying, where is the preacher at? Look here at chapter 32. Let's make sure that I've got the right one. He basically sends out all of this 
these droves and these servants to go to meet Esau in verses 3 to 8. And they come and they go back to Jacob and they basically said these simple words. Esau is ready to meet you, but he's got 400 armed men with him. Imagine now, this man who's tricked everybody through life, who's cheated everybody, and the last time he saw Esau, he had tricked him so bad that Esau wanted to kill him. And now he's there, just very simply. Esau's ready to meet you, but he's got 400 men. No word of greeting, no word of his intentions. There simply seems to be a statement that Esau is strutting his strength before Jacob. And what does Jacob do? Look at verses 9 through 12 of chapter 32. Jacob prays. Look at verse number 9. He reminds God that it was his idea to return to the land. In verse number 10, he realizes now that anything that he has is because God gave it to him. In verse number 11, as he continues his prayer, he's seeking God's protection and admits his fears. And in verse number 12, he pleads the promise that God made to him, that God, you're going to do something great here. Now you get the picture as we come to the text that we read here today? Jacob, his whole life has been conniving, cheating, stealing, working out different ideas to get an advantage in his life. And now he's coming back to meet Esau, and he's afraid. It is here that in these verses that we read that I see four major movements in the life of Jacob. Jacob's coming to a critical time in his life where God is going to do something dramatic to him. But he's got to break. He's got to yield. And it is through that brokenness that God is indeed able to bless him. Let's look at, first of all, verses 22 to 23. And I want you to notice here, Jacob's scheming. Now, one would think that the fear of meeting up with Esau and the reminders of what his life would have been like would cause Jacob to maybe act a little differently. To top it off, we had looked at chapter 32, verses 9 through 12, at the prayer that Jacob gave. And if you took time to read through that prayer, you'd say to yourself, wow, that's a very genuine prayer. That's a very spiritual prayer. But look up here for just a moment. How many of us have prayed an earnest prayer before God, and then we went back to the way doing things for ourselves? We've looked to God and we said, oh God, I need your help. And then we go, all right, I've said my prayer. Now here's how I'm going to fix the problem. And we do it ourselves. This is exactly what Jacob did. Notice his scheming. Going all the way back to verse 13 of chapter 32, we see Jacob working out his own plan. In fact, in the next several verses here, Here's what he prepared to give to Esau. It says he prepared 200 she-goats, 
20 he-goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 foals. And you say, big deal that it names all these. Let me just say, Jacob is trying to impress Esau. And he's doing this here because he wants to appease for the wrongs that were done in the past. Not only did he have all of this to offer, but here's what Jacob does, is he splits it up into five different parties or droves, if you will. So that way, one drove would come to Esau, and Esau would say, well, that was pretty good. Another drove would come to Esau, and he'd think to himself, all right, Jacob's coming somewhere now. He was hoping by the time that he got to Esau himself personally, that Esau would be appeased. Now, can I say this here today? This does not diminish a person's need to do what they need to do to make reconciliation when you have wronged somebody. But if that's all you see in this passage, you are missing the big picture. Because in verses 13 to the end of the chapter just about, Jacob is still being Jacob. He's being the supplanter the trickster, the conniver. Oh yes, he's prayed to God, but he's not really sure that God can, that he can really leave this problem fully in God's hands, so he takes it upon himself to orchestrate his own way of doing things. So here's the first movement in this text here. It is Jacob's scheming. Now notice verse 24, Jacob's struggling. There's an interesting phrase in verse number 24, and it is this. Notice it. And Jacob was left alone. I want you to mark that in your Bible if you have a habit of doing that, and just note that because it's very interesting for just a moment. Here's a man who now over the last several years has accumulated a lot of wealth. He's got all this wealth. He's got a large family. But notice now, It's all ahead of him, and he's left alone. You know what most people try to do in this life? They try to structure their time to not be alone. They're with friends. They're constantly on the phone, surfing the Internet, watching TikTok, listening to music. And truthfully, it is a sad commentary of our people today because people who hate to be alone do it because they don't want to come face to face with God. And Jacob, at this juncture in his life, finds himself alone. And the Bible tells us that there came a man and wrestled with him. Now, before we talk about this wrestling match, Let's first identify who Jacob wrestled with. If you look later in the Old Testament, the book of Hosea, chapter 12, verses 4 to 5, it identifies him as the Lord who wrestled with Jacob. In fact, we read here, Brother Kurt read so beautifully, that Jacob even identifies here that he wrestled with God. He says, I've wrestled with him and I've seen God face to face well you say to yourself well no how could this be God I mean I didn't think the Lord Jesus appeared in human form until the New Testament and you're correct 
But that, where Jesus appeared in the New Testament, was the incarnation. What you find in Genesis chapter 32 is a manifestation of God, a what we call a Christophany, where Christ came in the form of an angel to do some particular work here in the Old Testament. So we see that Jacob wrestled with God, but the question remains, why this wrestling match? What was going on here today? And it's pretty interesting that many people see this story as Jacob initiating this with God. In other words, many times I've heard preachers and teachers take this and say, all right, if you need something from God, you get alone with God and you wrestle with God. But I want you to please note, that's not what the scriptures say. Notice how the scriptures tell us what happened. It tells us in verse 24 that there wrestled a man with him, Jacob. It wasn't Jacob that started this match. It wasn't Jacob that said, I'm going to get a hold of God. It was God who came and started this with Jacob. You see, over the years in Jacob's life, God had been trying to chip away at Jacob. Go through the previous chapters of the book of Genesis and see what God was doing in the life of Jacob, how God was trying to break Jacob of his strong will and get him to not be so reliant upon himself. But I'm here to tell you, over the years in Jacob's life and over the years in your life, God is patient. He continues to chip away. He continues to work. He continues to wait for the right time to seize upon that moment when nobody else is around and bring you to a place where you will surrender before God. But you know, Jacob is still desiring to be in control. And he doesn't allow the Lord to win the battle. In fact, you look at verse number 26, the Bible tells us that Jacob would not let go. And it says that they wrestled till the sun started rising. So honestly, it could have been a few hours of this match between God and Jacob. So notice here now these two movements. Number one, Jacob scheming. Number two, Jacob struggling. But now notice verse number 25, Jacob's suffering. Jacob's suffering. Please look at verse 25, and I want you to note this for just a moment. The Bible tells us that when he, that's God, saw that he prevailed not against him, that's Jacob, he, God, touched the hollow of his thigh. What do you mean, preacher? What do you mean God didn't win? I mean, he's God, isn't he? He could have won in the first second. But again, God is very patient. And he will win in the end. But he has to bring you to a place where you yield yourself. And you surrender to God. That's what he was looking for from Jacob. 
God in this wrestling match was not intending to just pin Jacob down right away, but he was looking to get something from Jacob, to have Jacob come to a place where he recognized that he could not do it anymore in his own strength, in his own ingenuity. When Jacob wouldn't yield, God finally did something. He broke him. The Bible says that God struck Jacob in the thigh. Now that word here is translated in the King James Bible as thigh, or it could be the side or the loin, or we might say God touched him right there in the hip area. In other words, here's what God did. God took Jacob's hip and brought it out of joint. Now how well are you going to wrestle after that? Not too well. But the Bible tells us that Jacob did all he could still to hold on. And really this shows us how quickly God could have ended this conflict because all he had to do was just touch the thigh and in a moment Jacob's strength would have been dwindled. And now with Jacob's thigh out of joint, his ability to wrestle anymore was now greatly hindered. It's interesting to me why God touched the thigh of Jacob. Could he not have pulled his shoulder out of joint? Sure. Could he not have broken his neck? Sure. God could have done anything to Jacob, but he touched him in the thigh to pull that hip out of joint. It's interesting if you go back to the book of Genesis in chapter number 24, when Abraham is getting ready to send his servant over to the land where he came from and says to his servant, now I want you to take my son, my beloved son Isaac, and I want you to bring him there and I want you to find a wife for him. And he begins to lay out the qualifications and the issue of how he's to do this. And when he begins to send the servant, he does something that was customary in that day. He has that servant perform a vow. Now today, if you were to stand in court and you were to have to swear or make a vow, you might put your hand on the Bible or put your hand on your heart and swear to doing something. In the Old Testament days, the way that they would swear to their own hurt to make sure that they fulfilled something is they would place their hand underneath the thigh or the hip or right here on the backside. And that servant placed his hand underneath Abraham's backside and made a promise to Abraham that I will fulfill exactly what you asked me to do. And you say, preacher, what does that have to do with Jacob? If you look back earlier in Jacob's life, in Genesis chapter 28, when Jacob finally is sent away by his mother Rebekah and his father Isaac, he comes to a place which he names Bethel, and he has a time with God there. And I don't have time to turn back, but it is in Genesis chapter 28 that the Bible tells us that Jacob made a vow with God. In fact, do me a favor, let's, let's go ahead and take the time to go back. Genesis chapter 28, would you look there with me for just a moment, please? Genesis chapter 28, notice verse number 20. The Bible says, and Jacob vowed a vow, saying, now notice what he says here. 
If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, notice, then shall the Lord be my God. You know what Jacob's doing here? Let's put it into a terminology that many of us might understand. Jacob's practicing good old foxhole Christianity. Lord, the bullets are going over my head. And if you preserve my life, I will serve you. How many times when the bullets are gone, they get out and they forget that vow before God? Jacob, some 20 plus years later, is now reminded, though he didn't necessarily, he may not have put his hand under his thigh, but it was very common to make a vow that way. And when Jacob's thigh is pulled out of joint, Jacob is reminded of that vow that he made to the Lord, that if I come back, then I'm going to serve God. And basically, here's what God's telling him. Jacob, I'm bringing you back. I will protect you with Esau, and I will perform that which I said. Now, am I going to be your God? Am I going to be in control of your life, or are you still going to be in control? Notice here this great struggle that Jacob is going through. Have you ever had God come in and interrupt your life? Have you ever had God pull something in your life out of joint? you ever had God take your plans and kind of put them aside? God shows up and everything you had planned, everything you wanted to do, now is scrapped for something else. But I want to tell you, when God comes in and cripples your life, when God brings you a trial that you feel that you cannot bear. When God does something very interesting here, He cripples your ambitions and your goals, or maybe your health, or He cripples your wealth, or your work, or something happens in your family. God is doing something because He wants to get your attention. God did this to Jacob to get a hold of his attention. First movement in this story, Jacob's scheming. Second movement, Jacob struggling. Third movement, Jacob suffering. But now notice, verses 26 to 31, Jacob surrendering. Jacob surrendering. It's interesting to see the question that God asked during this wrestling match. What's your name? We read that story and we might say to ourselves, God, did, did you forget who he was? Can I say to you that when God asks a question in Scripture, he doesn't ask because he needs to know the answer. God already knows the answer, but he wants you to answer it so you can begin thinking about what he's doing in your life. It's interesting why he asked this question, what is thy name? Now, before we dismiss this as some simple question, let's be reminded of something that happened earlier in Jacob's life. Do you remember the last time Jacob was asked about his identity? What did he say? He was there with all of the, 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 the hairy skin of the animal on his arms and on his neck, and he comes in with that 
plate of food that his mother had made so deliciously, and he's standing before his blind father. And his father asks him, Who are you? I'm Esau. Now when God asks him, some 20 years later, he's come to face the reality that I am Jacob, the cheater, the supplanter, the trickster. He admitted it before God. What's your name? It's Jacob, the cheat, the trickster. What's your name? It's been my identification my whole life. It's been what I've done to hurt people and gaining the upper hand. And I want you to say that when God asked that simple question, He had a purpose. To break Jacob of himself and get him to the place where now God could do a work in his life. God desired to have Jacob see himself as he really was in the presence of God. And isn't that what God's trying to do in each of our lives? The problem with us is we've not come to the place where we're going to yield to God. But notice, once Jacob answers this question and says, you know, I'm, I'm Jacob. I'm the cheater. I'm the supplanter. God does something great. He now gives Jacob a new name. We read it. It's the name Israel. There's two things interesting to note about this name change. The first is that this name, Israel, became the namesake of God's people. He'll now be the bearer of that ancient promise to Abraham, and in time, his own 12 children will become the 12 tribes of Israel. Before this night of wrestling, there was no Israel. But when the sun comes up, Israel becomes a new reality. But there's a second thing that God's doing here in this name change, and that is that whenever God gives a new name, it's important that we pay attention to what God is doing. If you're familiar in the Scriptures here, when God gives a new name, He signifies a turn, a change. There's a new chapter in this person's life. How many remember reading in the book of Genesis here where God introduces us to Abram, but now he changes his name to Abraham. Saul in the New Testament now becomes Paul, the one who's the apostle of the Gentiles. The fisherman Simon becomes Peter, the rock on which Jesus will build his church. And now Jacob, the supplanter, is now Israel, the prince with God. What does this name change mean? Well, if you look at the Bible, and we read it here earlier, the name Israel is defined for us in the Bible. Here's what God says. You are a prince who has power with God and power with men, and you have prevailed. Now, the word power is actually the word here which means struggle. Struggle. Very interesting. Jacob had struggled with Esau in the womb, and that's how he got his name, Jacob. Jacob struggled with Esau over the birthright and prevailed. 
Jacob struggled with Laban and prevailed. Jacob struggled with men and women and prevailed. And now you mean to tell me that Jacob has struggled with God and prevailed? He's got a hip out of joint. You mean that's winning? Can I say to you, he may have come out limping, but he actually won in the end. Because in God's economy and in the way God does things, when you and I humble ourselves before God and yield to His way, we win in the end. We win. So here's four major snapshots in this story concerning Jacob. His scheming, his struggling, his suffering and his surrendering. And in closing here today, I'd like to just give you a handful of takeaways from this passage of Scripture. Number one, learn to get alone with God. I don't know what your time with God is like, but I want to encourage you to determine in your life to have such a time. To have a time that is uninterrupted. To have a time that you're unplugged from everything else in this world. How many times we read our Bible, but we have our phone next to us and ding. Oh, 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 somebody's talking to me here. No, 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 put that away. Let God talk to you. Get alone with God. Put the phone away. I can tell you, college student, teenager, if you're here, even adult, you'll be all right for 30 minutes without the phone. I promise you. I promise, but you won't be all right if you don't get along with God. Get with Him. Number two, what God is doing, when God is doing a work in your life, don't let go. How many times a trial comes about in the life and it's God's doing and we quit on God? We quit going to church. We quit reading our Bible. We quit following God because we say that God that I serve is not fair. God's been a big bully in my life. Can I tell you something? Do what Jacob did, and that is hold on to God. The Bible tells us about Jacob that he had this testimony. He basically came through and said, I won't let go. The man had faith. He trusted God. He wanted God to do something. And he was a model for all of us believers in the struggle of faith that we have. And what did Jacob get out of this struggle? It changed him. Oh, sure, he walked with a limp. But you know what he got out of this? In not letting go, he met with God and he realized that God will protect me. Because when you read in the next chapter, Genesis 33... Do you remember Jacob scheming what he was trying to do? I'll send the animals. I'll send my servants. I'll send my children. I'll send Leah. I'll send Rachel. And then I'll meet with Jacob. But what does Jacob do after this encounter with God? He meets with Esau first. You know why? Because he didn't let go. He wanted God's blessing. And when God came through and blessed his life, he now knew that his life was surrendered and he could trust God. Whatever God's doing in your life, 
Don't let go. See it through to the end. Number three, take away. The only blessing in life that really matters is that which comes from God. You know, that last story that we went over where Jacob had tricked his brother out of the blessing. Isaac is getting ready to give that blessing to Esau. And Jacob connives his way in to get that blessing. I'll just tell you something, folks. It doesn't matter what you have in this life. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you say you've accomplished. If you don't have God's blessing on your life, you are a pauper. You're poor. You need God. Oh, so-and-so recognized me in the community. So what? Oh, I got this amount of money in the bank. Big deal. Do you know our economy? I mean, come on. All of that can be gone. But the blessings of God are eternal. They don't change. They're lasting. So whatever goes on in this life, whoever recognizes you, doesn't recognize you, whatever you have in this life or don't have in this life, as long as you get in touch with God and God's blessing is on your life, you're a rich man or a rich, rich woman. Number four. When we lose with God, we really win. When we lose with God, we really win. Sometimes, get this, lessons of faith end in defeat. Jacob realized that God had supernaturally preserved him. He saw God face to face, and God did something to him to weaken him, and what you and I might say in this world, oh, poor Jacob. No, no, I'm going to tell you something. Jacob found that his weakness was really his strength. Remember what Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, praying before God, God, take away this thorn in the flesh. I can't serve you with this thorn in the flesh. I can't do the things I ought to do. This is bothering me. You have the ability to remove it. Would you take it away? And God said, Paul, I'm not going to remove that. It's staying right there. Because I want you to realize that in the moments that you are weak, then my strength will come forth. When you and I lose with God... We really win. Number five, your limp can cause you to walk straighter than before you had it. We might think that the weakness we have in this life is not good, but I want to tell you something. After God had this encounter with Jacob, Jacob never walked any straighter in his life than the remainder of his life after this encounter. What's God dealing with you about? Maybe some of you have come to a place in your life and there's some things in your past that are really starting to catch up with you. 
It's possible that you have a relationship that you've broken off a long time ago and you've had this old adage, well, I hope time heals this. Let me ask you, how well has time healed stuff? Time's not a healer in and of itself. God, from time to time, is chipping away at your life and getting you to realize you need to make things right in this relationship. It's possible you've lied to somebody and now the consequences of your lies are starting to come back at you. Oh, the things of the past, sooner or later, I'm going to tell you, they will confront you. And now, like Jacob, looking back at all the people he's cheated and tricked and deceived in his life, now he's got this fear of meeting those things and he's not sure he's ready to move forward. I want to tell you something, Christian Dear believer, God may be putting a trial in your life. He may be bringing you to an encounter with Him to where all you need to do is yield to Him and God will bless you. Allow Him to bring you to the place where you can be broken. Allow Him to bring you to the place where you're yielded to Him. And then from there, God can indeed use you. For Jacob, all the memories of the past flew by his mind. All the fears of tomorrow began to overwhelm him. But God brought Jacob to an encounter that would change him for the rest of his life. It's possible you're here today and you're not a believer. In other words, what I mean by that is you don't know about whether you'll go to heaven or not. You think you're a Christian. You think because you're in church, well, I'm a Christian. I've done a lot of good things. But I'm going to tell you, a born-again Christian is a person who has personally, by faith, received Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. They're not working their way to heaven. They're not trying to earn their way to heaven. They've accepted the very grace of God by faith. Now, if you're here today and you're struggling about whether you're going to heaven or not, I want to tell you something. God loves you so much that from time to time, He'll bring you through certain crises. He'll allow things to happen in your life. He'll allow a relationship to be broken. He'll allow some tragedy to happen. He'll allow a sickness in your life. He'll allow something to happen to cause you to quit looking around and to look up at Him. Because honestly, all that matters in this life is not all the things around us. What truly matters is God. And the Bible tells us that God loved you and I so much that He gave His only begotten Son to die on the cross. And if you would place your faith in Jesus Christ, you could have eternal life. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to come together. I pray that now in these next moments, may you work in a mighty way in our midst. Do something, Father, that only you can do right now.